All right, so um, turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, we are continuing. We're in part 5. Um, let me, as you turn there, Habakkuk chapter 2, I want to share with you an illustration. Um, vending machines. Vending machines, when they are in the right place at the right time, they are like lifesavers, aren't they? Sarah and I, when we got married, um, if you've ever been married or gotten married with a, like a ceremony and a reception, they don't let you eat if you're the groom and the bride. I don't know what it is. Like they served us and we had plates and I took a bite, but then it was like, you got to come talk to these people. You got to say hi to everybody. Like really? The hundred guests? We have to go individually say hi? Yes, you do. Okay. So we walk around and I came back and my food was gone and it looked really good. And to this day, I... I I have very little life regrets, but that's one of them, just not being able to enjoy that meal on my wedding day. Um, so, you know, we go through and, okay, we'll just we'll, – we'll eat something later. We're at a restaurant, so, it, you know, should have food. And we're dancing, having fun, and talking to folks and, and having a good time. Next thing you know, it's like 10 o'clock at night. We're flying out in the morning for our honeymoon, and so we leave and we're starving because not only have we not eaten, but we've been dancing and everything else. So we're just starving. It's like, okay, so at the time, I was not real familiar with this area. I didn't know 481 from 81, from 690, from what I, I didn't know. So I got, it was the day before GPS, you know, because praise God for the GPS when it actually works and you find the place where you're going. We wanted to find someplace, a, a Taco Bell, a McDonald's, anything. Everything was closed, and then we got on, I think it was on the 481, and I had no idea where I was. And so we came back to the hotel. Uh, we're just going to have to make do with what we have here. They had nothing. They had two vending machines. So we had soda and Pop-Tarts, which if you've ever had those together, they're not the best combination. Technically, I think together it's not really even food. It's it's on the verge of being plastic at that point. But it was something to ingest so that we could make it. And we didn't end up eating till like the next day when we finally made it to our honeymoon. All that to say – a, to reminisce, because it was my wife's birthday yesterday, and I love her very much. Now it's on public record. That's awesome. Um, but um, vending machines, one of the things about vending machines is they can be really finicky, meaning you try to put a dollar bill. You ever have the dollar bill get spit back out at you? You put it in. It comes back out. What do you do? You take it. You rub it on the side of the thing. Like I'm – magic and make this dollar bill be acceptable by this vending machine you feel kind of rejected like you put the dollar bill in it comes back it's like oh, money's not good enough for you and you have no coins you can't find anybody to change make change for you and so when you finally get the dollar bill in and you get your stuff you're excited because you really needed the, you know that pack of chips or that soda um and you finally got it to accept your money and i use this illustration to um kind of open our minds a little bit to how we sometimes approach the Lord. We see him as this divine vending machine. And if I just put my money in right, and the money being my prayer, then God must give me a six if that's what I've asked for. If I put in the money, push the right buttons, then God is obligated to give me what I want and what I've asked for. Rather than Prayer becoming this time of intimacy, growing, learning, and just being an all-around awesome relationship, we turn it into this very poor, pitiful business transaction. God, I have offered you this prayer with these words at this time. Give me my thing, whatever that is. And I don't mean to trivialize this. For some, it might be the life of an individual. 
It might be this person is sick. I need them to be well. It might be I can't afford my home. If I don't have X amount of dollars by this date, we will be kicked out. And I have kids, so I need your help. And so if you go on Amazon or go to Barnes & Noble, there's no shortage of books that will show you some process, some formula that will make God answer your prayers. That will obligate him to, to do what you have asked for. That you can run around and say, ha-ha, I've got you, Lord. I've got you. You must perform for me. Subsequently, there's a lot of money to be made in that. Just because a book has been published, please be, use discernment. Ask the Lord, is this actually biblical? Or are these people just found a way to make some money? Because unfortunately, some people have learned how to make money from Christians. You put out a book, three steps to... If you the less steps the better, three steps to answering prayer, you're probably going to sell a lot of books. You're probably going to make a lot of money. You're probably going to make a name for yourself. Not all authors are like that, but we have to exercise discernment. And what we have to do when it comes to prayer, we have to realize that this conversation with God is similar yet much more than conversations we have with each other. Imagine if I came to you and the only conversation I ever brought to you was, I want this. Hey, Pastor Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I want money. Okay, go to the next. Hey, Pastor Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Do you have food? Do you have this? Can you give me this? Can you give me that? At some point, our relationship would become strained. At first, it'd be like... This is awkward, and they'd be like, I don't want to hang around with you anymore. See, when we have relationships that are built on the needs and the wants of one individual, those relationships don't usually last, and if they do, it's because we're related to them. And we have to see them once or twice a year, and then we cringe when we see them. And all the nervous giggling tells me that I hit a chord or struck a nerve of some sort. Turn, if you've already turned to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. Habakkuk now has asked two questions of the Lord. It's funny to me, like I think about Paul saying that you know, he had this thorn in his flesh and he prayed three times. Um, we're told to pray without ceasing. But we find men in the Bible, if they prayed without ceasing, they are, weren't always praying about the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. At some point, they said, okay, we're moving on. We're praying about something else. Habakkuk has asked two questions, and he's ready to move on. He, is, he has this resolve. I am going to hear from the Lord his answer. Whatever his answer is, that's what it will be. I will not kick. I will not fight. I will not throw a spiritual tantrum. I will accept what the Lord says to me. And he says this before the Lord even answers him. Some of us, we, we, we pray, we, we get our arms crossed, and we're not moving until the Lord answers our prayer. Much like a four-year-old when they're in the store and they want something. We, we feel as though the Lord will respond to this when we ourselves wouldn't respond to it. If you've ever had a child do that, I don't know how you respond. My children don't do that that often. And if they do, they know what they're going to meet. They're going to meet a dad that says, okay, good luck with that. Find a ride home. That's not true. I never made my children walk. Please don't call CPS. 
But they know at this point, at seven and at four, that those types of things just don't work on dad and mom. That hasn't didn't work when they were two, it didn't work when they were four, it doesn't work now. And we've learned and we've taught them the same thing with the Lord. You can't have a spiritual standoff with the Lord and think that he's going to buckle at some point. As if he's going to say, well, I really don't want to offend Tony or Sarah or the kids. I better do what they want. We've taught them submission, that, that we have this resolve. Whatever the Lord answers us, that's what we're going to honor and that's what we're going to abide by. He is greater than us. He knows more than us. He's, he's seen a whole lot more than we have. And so we can trust his judgment in that way. Habakkuk, before he hears his answer, says, I'm going to do whatever the Lord says. I'm going to go back to my watch post. I'm going to go back to work. And I'm going to keep doing the things that I have to do day in and day out, knowing that the Lord has heard me. Now, verse 2a. We're not even going to study really a full verse today. We're just going to look at the first half of verse 2. It's actually the title of our series. And the Lord answered me. Let me ask you a question. You're going to answer it with your head, but I need to know if you believe it in your heart. Does the Lord answer prayer? We can intellectually say that all day long. Some of you believe it in your heart, and that's, that's good. But for some of us, we, we look at the evidence. We'll say, okay, I know what the Bible says about prayer, and I know what other people say, and everybody just said, yeah. But I look at the landscape of my past, and I see things where the Lord didn't answer my prayer. He didn't. It's not even that he didn't answer it my way. He just seemingly never said or did anything. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but can you look back at your life and say, yeah, that's happened a time or two? I know I can. I can look back and say, you know what? I, I prayed for this or for that, and nothing happened. Now, truthfully, there were prayers that I prayed that I realized they were foolish later. And so I said, I, I kind of gave up on that prayer. Yeah, Lord, that... That was silly. I don't really need a jet plane. I, I don't need that. I have, I'll just I'll, I'll give up on that prayer and move on to something else. Um, but there are other prayers that I, th I think, man, you know, what, what's going to be the end result of that? And it, was that prayer forgotten? Habakkuk says, and the Lord answered me. Today, today our sermon's all about prayer. It's not... It's not about how to get God to answer your prayer. It's that prayer is so much more than just having an answer. Men, if you've ever talked to your wives, you know that often they don't want an answer, right? I was going to say, can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. What they generally like, and this isn't all the time, and, and you've got to watch out for pride and that sort of thing, but, but sometimes it's just someone to listen, someone to someone to, to hear what they are saying, to let them sort of let out the chaos that might be stirring in their heart or minds. It's not about answering their question or about giving them a word-for-word -word way to fix things. It's just being there for them. And the answer sometimes simply just lies in having an open ear. That is relationship building 101. You will get to know your wife in no other way better than just letting her speak to you in that way. When we read the Word of God, this is the Lord speaking to us. It's a conversation about His Son, Jesus. He is informing us, telling us, revealing to us His Son and what needs to be known 
so that we can be reconciled to him. See, some folks, they, they balk at the idea that they are sinners in need of saving. And, and that seems cruel to them that God would consider them a sinner. I think it would be cruel if God considered you a sinner and did nothing to save you. I think that would be cruel. But yet God has sent his only begotten son, the Bible says, to die a horrible death so that through his sacrifice, through his shed blood, not your own, you could be reconciled to him. That you could be made right with God. You could have Jesus' righteousness. That you could be in Christ, the Bible says. That when God the Father looks upon you, he sees his son and his righteousness, not your righteousness, which the Bible says hangs on you like filthy rags. We can be saved from our past, our present, and our future sin. The Bible is very clear. We've all sinned. I love that. Some of you say, no, Pastor Tony, I don't like talking about sin. Well, the Bible talks a lot about it. we got to talk about it too. I love that the Bible levels the playing field. That the Bible says sin is what separates us from God, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means when you guys walk in in the morning, I don't have to feel worse than you, and I have no privilege to feel better than you. We're all on the same level. We're all on the same playing field. And at this point now, I'm like, uh, to steal a quote from a man named Greg Gloria, pastor in California, we're just blind beggars telling other blind beggars where to find food. Like, we have found Jesus. We're not better than other people. We're just maybe better off, but we're not better than them. We're just trying to point them into the right direction. Today, we're trying to get you to see Jesus, to have your eyes open to his goodness. Pastor Mike talked about amazing grace today, and one of the reasons why we don't think grace is amazing is because we don't see our sin as devastating. We don't see our sin as something that actually separates us from God. Oh, God certainly loves everybody. No, he doesn't like sinners at all. He doesn't like sin at all. And if you, you, if you want to see proof of that, I go back to the cross. God was willing to die himself on a cross for you. That means he takes sin very seriously. And there are, there are sins that, that we would consider unpardonable, but before God, all sins are pardonable with the exception of rejecting his son. Any other thing you've done or, or have done to you can be and will be forgiven through faith in Christ. Not through your works, so that no man can boast about it, nobody can brag about how great they are and how they got saved by their own merit. But we can boast about Jesus. This is what Jesus did for me. I was... I was you know, waist deep in pornography. I was, I was an alcoholic. I was, I was just a workaholic and I, and I neglected my children and, and I just, I was, I had had very promiscuous and I had people hurt me and, and I got myself into these horrible, dangerous situations and you can be forgiven of all of that. There is no sin that you have committed that God cannot forgive, that God cannot free you from. See, for some of us, it's not, it's not just the saving from sin. It's the deliverance from sin. It's, it's, it's knowing that there is hope that one day that which envelops you now and has ensnared you, that it will be released one day. If you've ever, if you've ever felt the relief of, you know, the closest thing I can think of is walking around something like Disney World or uh, the State Fair and you wear a backpack or something. 
or you carry a child. Have you ever done that? And by at first you're like good and you're nice and limber, but by the end of the day you're just so burdened. Your back hurts and your knees hurt and your hips hurt and your ankles hurt. And then finally that first time you just kind of let that go. Like, ah, oh, you feel that relief. The burden has been lifted. This is the same verbiage and, and terminology the Bible uses for sin and being forgiven and being delivered from it. All this through Jesus. All this through conversing with him. So what is prayer? If I asked each one of you individually what is prayer and, and, and did it you know, alone, you would all give me a different answer. You would all give me some form or mode that for you is how you do prayer. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say any of them were right or wrong, but I think if we got into a big discussion, we'd all find faults in everybody's way of praying. Because it wouldn't be like our way of praying. We would, we would, we would be like, hey, you're not using the right words. Yeah, well, you're not on your knees. Yeah, well, you don't talk right. That'd be me. Every point of me is that you don't talk right. Um, <laughs> we'd all have these discussions or, 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 or discrepancies or, or uh, divisions, and we might even get to a point where it becomes uh, a separation. That doesn't need to be so. When you look at the Bible, we have generally just one instruction, that is to pray without ceasing. We have the Lord's Prayer, which the Lord shares with us in the book of Luke, and I believe again in the book of Mark, or not uh, Matthew, rather, of, of, a, of a, a script that we could refer to that could be like a model of prayer, but they don't have to be a, a script that we have to adhere to where if you don't say these words, you, you won't get heard or answered. Prayers can be long. Prayers can be short. Prayers can be eloquent, filled with fancy words in the King James English. They can be very simple in just what you're feeling in that moment. What I'm hoping is that as I describe prayer and what it can be and what you're allowed and have the liberty to how to pray, that there will be some burden lifted. Because for some, I know you pray and you wonder if you got heard because of the way you prayed. I want to assure you, I can't guarantee you were heard as if I know that the Lord heard you. I can't say that. I will tell you this, that the way that you have prayed, if you have come in faith in Jesus, then you have not been hindered. Let's put it that way. And so if your prayer was not long and it was short, it's not as though you didn't pray long enough. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that the, the pagans and the Pharisees, they think they get heard because of their long eloquent words and their long prayers seems like the lord's big on long sermons amen but not so big on long prayers your prayers can be external or internal if you go to the book of nehemiah there's a time where he prays before a king but nobody knows it except for him why because he's prayed in his internal and on the inside he's prayed with his inside voice He's prayed with that internal monologue that is, that is just him and nobody else hears except for Jesus. Nobody else hears except for God, that nobody else knows except for God. If you are in an opportunity where you cannot pray out loud in front of people, maybe you're at work and maybe, you're, maybe you work in a line of work where you're helping customers, but you need to pray right then and there, there's nothing wrong with praying internally. Just say, just praying to the Lord as much as you can. Now, now be careful 
when this is something that you do when you drive. Some people will be very proud. My prayer time happens when I'm driving. I have a long commute, and I redeem that time. I think that's great. And for some of you, you need to drive more so that you'll pray more. But be very careful when you're praying and driving. I, I scare my wife when it's time to pray because I'll close my eyes instinctively when I'm driving, and she asks me to pray or somebody asks us to pray for something. She usually hit me or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't close my eyes. What am I doing? I think it's funny. You guys don't think that's funny? I think it's funny. Putting my life's family in putting my family in peril. I think it's funny. Your prayer, all bad jokes aside, can be solitary or corporate. That means we can come together on a Sunday and pray together, or you can go and pray by yourself. I'll have folks come to me and pray and ask me to pray for them often simply because I'm the pastor. They will feel as though my lips are closer to the ears of God than theirs. I am more than happy to pray with folks. I don't get into a theological debate when somebody comes to me and says I need prayer, even when I know they come in that manner. But I'm here to tell you who are here today listening that yours and mine prayer, our prayer, is heard equally before God if we come in faith to Jesus. Hopefully you're seeing the common denominator. You're seeing the common theme. In faith, in Christ, you are heard. You can be standing or kneeling. You can be laying on your bed. You can be on your sofa. You can be in your car. You can pray anywhere, anytime, for any reason. One of my favorite prayer requests I've ever had was a young boy asked me to pray for his lizard. Hey, man, for this seven-year-old boy, he needed his lizard to be alive. So we pray. Sure, we'll pray for your lizard. Why not? The Lord's Prayer is this, found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You write that down in your notebook. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, when there are times when we do not know what to pray, the Lord's Prayer kind of gives us a frame, a framework of, of how to pray. Pray a Pray to the Lord, you are good, you are holy. Your name is much greater than any other name. Hey, I need bread, daily bread. I need to eat today. Lord, help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. This is a great framework for us to, to pray when we don't know what to pray. But let's say even the Lord's prayer escapes us for some reason. Is it really important that your words hit the nail on the head when you pray? Yes or no? Good answer. I'd like to see more no's. No! Some folks will tell you it's so important that you nail the right words when you pray, as if God's up, up in heaven keeping score. Okay, he said thou, and he said verily, and he said father 400 times. Okay, I get to answer that prayer. No, your words are not as important as you might think. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This means when you come before the Lord, somebody says, Hey, my child just died. Can you pray for me? And you're like, I don't know what to say. It means you go before the Lord and you begin saying things like, 
Lord, I don't even know what to say. And maybe you're just crying and just weeping and groaning. And, oh, Lord, why does this keep happening? And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit somehow takes that and translates it to the Lord. Your words can be effective. But when it comes to praying to God for something, it's not all up to you. I want that burden of, of I've got to get this right or God won't hear me. I want that to just fall off of you. That you would be able to come to the Lord and just just spill your guts before him and say, Lord, ah, this is where I'm at. And, and I even know that this is wrong, Lord, but this is how I feel. And this is what I'm going through. And I don't even know. I mean, I know you're good, and I know things work out for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, but here's where I'm at. Here's what I feel like. I am desperate for an answer. The good news is that if you don't have the words, God does. And let that be a relief to you. Let that be a release of, of a burden. And then know this, that Jesus does, in fact, hear you. Try to get your mind wrapped around this one for a moment, to grasp the magnitude of it, that the God who created all of the universe, the Bible says in John 1 that everything was created through Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus, and this Jesus whom we are being uh, preached about hears you. He literally knows what you're going to say before your heart ever produces it or before your mind even contemplates it. And you might say, Pastor Tony, what's the purpose of prayer if he already knows it? I would say, what would be the purpose of prayer if he didn't already know it? Why would you pray to him? God knows, and we can build relationship with him through praying, talking, conversing with him. 1 John chapter 5 says this in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, just as a side note, if you, this would be the only way I could guarantee a quicker answer to your prayer. Pray what God wants. Pray what God desires. Find his will. Start praying for that. God desires that we would preach the gospel into all nations, making disciples of all people. Pray for that. That's God's will. God will answer that prayer. Now, if you do not know God's will, we can go back to Romans 8. God, we don't even know what to do. But know this, that Jesus hears you because you have put faith in Jesus. A very prominent politician recently said that whether you're a Muslim whether you're a Christian or whether you're a Jew, we're all God's children. That sounds really pious. That sounds really tolerant. But I'm here to tell you that that's not biblically true. The Bible tells us that before we know Christ, we're orphans. That if you do, do not know Jesus, you're a spiritual orphan. You're dead in your sins. But if we know Jesus, then we're made alive, as we sang this morning, and you now become an adopted child of the King. Not everybody is God's child. We're not all God's children unless we know Jesus through faith. That is the only way. That is what the Bible preaches and teaches to us. 
it would be absolutely abhorrent if God had a bunch of children and then decided, well, you are my children, but I don't love you. Does that make sense? He are, his children are those who have put faith in Jesus. Read John chapter 17. Jesus goes on for a whole chapter. You have given these to me. I am bringing them to you. They have put faith in me and thus put faith in you. That, that I have kept them. I have not lost a single one except for Judas who went to go be with Satan. All of them belong to me as you have given them to me. If you are a child of God, then you belong to God. And you will stay in God's flock and pasture as long as he can contain you. And that's a really long time. You are not stronger than God. You can't break free from his grasp. And we praise God for that. But what happens when you don't feel like God hears you? You ever, Maybe it's just me. Have you ever had those seasons where you pray and it just feels like God's not hearing you? Raise your hand if you've ever had that time. How many people are going through that right now? Some of you are honest. Good. But what happens when I don't feel it? But Pastor Tony keeps saying that the Bible says that he does. How do we bridge that gap? Here's how we're going to preach how we're going to bridge that gap. You've got to understand that your experience does not supersede the truth. Okay? True or false, a million dollars exists. Somewhere. We know at least the government owes that much, so somebody's got it somewhere. That much and a lot more. Bad political joke. We're moving on. Um we have maybe never have seen a million dollars, but we know that it exists, correct? We have not experienced the spending or the feeling or the, the having it in our bank account, but we know that it exists, correct? Why do we know that? Because somebody taught us or told us that. We know, not experientially, but we know intellectually that it exists. And so what we need to do in like manner is that when we do not feel as though God hears us, we need to know that he does. You can know intellectually, you can know that based on the word of God, that Jesus hears me even though I don't feel it. Because on the opposite end, there will be times where you totally feel it. It seems like before you even get the prayer out, God's answered it somehow. You know, you pray for somebody and the next thing you know that they feel better. Maybe it's even instantaneous right before you. Maybe it's, maybe it's an answer to some financial problem or a marital problem. It's like, boom, it just happens. Oh, my goodness. And you're like, yeah, you're on top of the world for like four seconds because then something else comes up and you're like, why doesn't God hear me? We need to know that when we don't feel it, the truth has not changed. Wouldn't that be the worst if God changed based on our emotions? As if the truth could be diminished if we just didn't feel it. That if we were really joyful, then God would be joyful. But if we were really sad, then God would be sad too. And his prayers or his, his answers would be less, less effective or less beneficial. No, the Bible says that Jesus is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He's not bipolar. He's not emotional. He's not, he's not crazy. He's constant. We come in all like this all over the place. God, we're happy. Now we're sad. Oh, my gosh. What do we do? Oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is the worst. And God's steady and just there. When we do not feel emotionally that God is, is answering us or hearing us, we can know that based on what the Word says that he does. 
And, and if that is not revolutionary to you today, then it's time to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry that I have not believed what your word has said. We call this repentance. We are told in Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it is, that we have to believe that God exists, A, seems pretty important, and B, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. God is a God who gives. And what he gives is his son, Jesus. And if you if you look at that and say, yeah, that sounds great, but I really need this, we got to go back to square one. If you don't see Jesus as the ultimate gift, if you don't see your sin as devastating between you and him, then, then you've missed something, and you've got to go back. And you've got you've to ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what the Bible says about Jesus. Prayer is important. It's more than important. It's essential. Prayer for the Christian is like breathing. We must be praying continuously. I pray, I don't want to say unceasingly because I'm not perfect, but I've developed this lifestyle, and I shouldn't say I, even then, it's, it's the Lord's work of, of praying continuously throughout the day, conversing with God. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? I heard this guy say this thing. What about this thing? This seems true, but I don't know. And I'm just talking to Jesus all the time. And sometimes I really am like a four-year-old kid with ADHD. I'm just like, like, God, what about this? Oh, my gosh, look at that thing. Oh, my gosh, this, 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 this. I'm just, I, I don't even stop to listen to God. That's where my big fault is. I don't just stop and get quiet before the Lord and let him talk back. And <laughs> let him respond to things. To just simply be in his presence and let it just be that. Church. Prayer is so much more than this vending machine analogy I used earlier where we put in the right letters, we put in the right money, and we get what we want. In that scenario, we're the God. If you, wanna, if you want to dispute my teaching this morning, in that scenario, you're the God. If you tell God what to do, then you're the God. And you're a, it's, it's a poor God. But if you allow the Lord to be your God, and for yourself to be his people, as the Bible says, then you will grow in relationship, and you will be like Habakkuk, and you will be like Paul, and you will be like Peter, who simply went out and said, we're going to preach the gospel, and we don't care who likes it. We're going to preach it in the synagogue. We're going to go into the town square. We're going to go to these people's houses. We're going to preach Jesus to folks, and if they don't want us to preach Jesus, we're just going to keep doing it twice as much so much so that men like paul and peter would lose their lives just for preaching the gospel and it's not just for men then and not now we see men doing that today as much as ever at this moment pastor saeed abedini is in an iranian prison because he wanted to start an orphanage in the name of jesus and they decided we don't like that name you're going to jail and now going on three years later he's still in jail he could have recanted long ago and said, you know what? I'm just kidding. And maybe, I doubt it, but maybe they would have let him go. But instead, he's so convicted. And I'm not putting him on a pedestal. I'm just saying this is how this practically plays out. Instead, he says, no, I have this Lord that I serve. 
I cannot turn back. You see it in the, the men who have been beheaded. You see it in the families whose homes have been torched. You see it in the families of the young ladies who have been raped. You see it in the families uh, and the faces and the people of men who have been shot because of their faith. They have resolved to follow Jesus no matter what. And we face none of that. Did anybody stop you from coming to church today? No. Were, were there people waiting to, to shoot you as they came in? No. Have you, been, have you had your Bible taken away and burned? No. Have you been threatened to have your head chopped off because of your faith? No. And yet here we are, lackadaisical with our faith. Because we have no resolve, because we don't understand prayer, because Jesus is a vending machine rather than a Lord and a Savior. This is a call for repentance. I'm not singling out any one person. I'm calling us all to it. Will you repent with me this morning and acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, i got to be honest with you, Lord. Um, I don't even know what to do right now. But I feel the need to call us all, myself first, to repentance. Lord, I ask today that you would help us to turn from this spiritual sloth, that we would not be lazy with our faith, but the opposite, that we'd be on fire for Jesus. We wouldn't be crazy, we wouldn't be like the, the weirdos we see on TV, but that we would have a genuine, honest relationship with you and a resolve built through your Holy Spirit to follow you no matter what, whether that means going to the end of our city or going to the end of the world to preach the gospel of Jesus, whether we are preaching in our homes to our children, whether we are preaching at work to our co-workers, whether we are preaching here at the church through, Bibles and, or through Bible studies and sermons, whether we're doing it behind the scenes or out in front, Lord, help us. We all have time that we have given over to something that's not you. And Father, I know just for myself, I have more than enough time that I have wasted, and I repent of that, and I pray for your help, that you would help me to overcome spiritual laziness and father that you would help us all to do the same because jesus you are worthy you are worth so much more than this little little nugget of worship we can give to you but we give it to you lord and father i pray for those today that maybe their eyes aren't open to this they don't they don't see this yet they're still trying to understand and make this all connect lord i'm praying for a miracle that your Holy Spirit would draw them, show them, convict them, break them, that you might put them back together. Your word says that we're just like vessels made out of clay. And we're broken. And you take us and you put us back together to make beautiful things out of us. Thank you, Lord. I pray today that you would open our eyes. Whether we've been walking with you faithfully since we were little kids or whether we just walked through the door today for the first time help us lord and jesus may you receive all of the glory all of the praise 
all of the everything. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.